This is 358 Health, Fitness and Mindset Podcast, the show that gives you the tools to integrate the principles of a healthy lifestyle into your schedule without having to give up the things that you enjoy in your life. If you want to improve your body and your mind, then 358 is the place to be. Your host, Jack Buffery, is your personal development trainer and creator of the 358 programs. Find out more about 358 and sign up for the free seven-day challenge at www.358fitness.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Jack Buffery, and welcome to the 358 Health, Fitness, and Mindset podcast. This is episode 10. Now, today's episode is brought to you by the 358 Recipe Books. The Smart Simple Recipe Pack contains 52 delicious recipes, and the Vegan Recipe Pack contains another 40. Now, each book covers breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks, and provides you with two different two-week meal plans with ideas of how to combine them through the week and utilize any leftovers for meals the next day. As with any 358 product, these are here to make your life much easier. They come in a digital format so will always be in the palm of your hand perfect for when you find yourself in the shops wondering what you need to buy for the week ahead and right now the books are both 50% off so all you need to do is head over to www.358fitness.com and click on the shop button. Now today's guest is Andrew McCauley on the episode Martial Arts and Mindset, I think it was episode three, um, Ben Leonard recommended I speak to Andrew, and I am very glad he did. So Andrew is a physiotherapist, but also a fully qualified strength and conditioning coach. Now, traditionally, you don't really see these two things put together all that often, which is why I was really looking forward to recording this episode. When you add the two different disciplines together, you can get some very, very great results. Now, my primary goal with these episodes is to give the listener at least one piece of actionable advice that can benefit from them. But in this conversation, we definitely covered more than just the one. From movement to mindset and from eating to sleeping, we delve deep into a load of subjects that will get you a ton of great value. So many subjects, in fact, that this is the first episode I'm splitting into two different parts as we talked for nearly two and a half hours. Now, you can listen to the second half next week, but trust me, you'll have enough to think about until then with this episode alone. So without further ado, let's get into the show with Andrew. Okay, so Andrew, the the first question I'm going to ask, um, and I'm going to ask this in a bit of a different way to you than I've asked before, so sorry to put you on the spot, but... um, Let's um, let's do a little bit of role reversal right now. Let's say you were me introducing you for a podcast. How would you introduce yourself? What is it you do? And how would you introduce <laughs> what you do? Sorry to put you on the spot, but this is a new one. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. See, I, I, I was thinking it's, it's normally everyone asks, you know, what do you do? And, you know, mm. so there's always a start of, a, of anything. And I thought I'm going to have to give two answers. So I'll, I'll maybe do what, what I'll do. I'll, like a, a cheesy podcaster um one would be um i'm a body detective that solves movement and mental problems oh i'm sold <laughs> <laughs> so that's the cheesy super cheesy line mm. um the the other thing would be i've kind of got three roles um i'm a physiotherapist by training um, I, I, uh, so and I work in the NHS part-time as a shoulder, hip and knee specialist. And then the other three days of the week, I work in private practice um, in, a, in, in my company called ProCare Sports Medicine, which mainly looks at people who are interested in act, uh, being active and fit. Um, athletes come into that, but as long as you've got fitness and active goals, well, like, they're the kind of clients I like for that particular purpose. And then I also run a two-day course for therapists that looks at improving adherence to exercise, psychology behind that, the mindset that you um, need to have on, and, and understand, and also weight training for a therapist, so how they can properly prescribe power as strength training. So that's, that's, that's what I do. Absolutely fantastic. And, and just, from that, um, just from that intro, you've already sparked up a lot more questions for me already. And yeah, we will get around to this later on. And if we don't, give me a nudge so I remember to speak about it. But but shoulder, hip, and knee specialists in particular, um, they're the they're the three kind of biggest joints. I mean, you could say back as well. But the shoulder, hip, and knee—they're the things that if you 
if you don't keep a kind of a sense of an active lifestyle, they're the things that later on in life, you bust any one of them, your chances of recovery ever coming back 100% just massively affect your lifestyle um, as you get older, I, I think. So the fact you, you know, especially the hips, you know, the later on you get on live, in life, if you haven't taken care of yourself, <laughs> you get a busted hip, you can see someone really struggle with that later on in life. Whereas if you have taken a bit of care with yourself, you can come back from those sort of injuries a little bit, a little bit quicker and a little bit sturdier. Yeah, I I, I hear what you're saying, and mm. um, I, I certainly they're, they're they're major linking joints, you know. Um, you know, sitting can be uncomfortable if you've got a sore hip. So like that's mm. just you know, you know, even lying on your side in a shoulder situation can be up. So your sleep and your just basic functions. If you've got a sore ankle, uh, for example, you can kind of put it to the side. And by all means, if you're having a discussion with somebody who has pain in their ankle, they're going to tell you to go and have a run and jump. That's the worst problem they have, you know, mm -hmm. if it stops them doing stuff. But from a, from a point of view of rest, even rest can be uncomfortable for those major joints. It's very difficult sometimes, even compression sitting. So I see what you mean, definitely from, they are the big joints. They are, um, uh, I suppose I would always look at it, and I, and I totally get what you're saying, Jack, as well, but it's kind of like when someone is injured, it's, it's trying to create that mindset that they can recover from that no matter what it is. So even mm -hmm. if they're down the line, if they, if they, so I don't know if they haven't, you know, whatever looking after yourself is, whatever that, that definition is, but if you've kind of kept active, you live a healthy lifestyle and then you get a problem in them joints. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, dis, it's really disabling and, and it's kind of like, uh, and, it, and it affects people even who aren't active or necessarily into sport. It, it kind of, it does derail people. So, uh, but I think in general, they are the most common you see from a therapist's point of view. If, you know, even in the general physiotherapy world, those joints are the ones that come through the door. Back is very, very common, but mm. the others are very much involved in sport related people. They, they tend to get the, those joints. So mm. I'm not sure where I went with that, but you know what I mean? I, I definitely, <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's, it's just I just Definitely. didn't want to kind of go. If you've got a knee problem, then you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no, all, the, all the knee, all the knee people leaving out there going, oh no, if I get a knee problem, then, you know. No, um, I, I, I think it's um, the way that, yeah, I should have um, prefaced that a little bit. So basically, I was having a conversation with a with a runner earlier on, and um, she, in fact, she's going to be a guest on an episode at some point in the future, but she was hospitalized with a very serious hip injury um, after being knocked off yeah. her bike. And she was in a ward, which was predominantly, um, as she said, little old ladies in there as well. And you could tell the ones who had a bit of a background of moving uh, and movement because they managed to recover fully and get themselves out of the door quicker, um, as in, in their recovery, whereas the people who hadn't um, or didn't have any base movement um, kind of experience or discipline, they, they struggle to recover. So I think it's just one of those areas where having a baseline of fitness as you age in general is just, you know, it's one of those really good things. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, no, so yeah, no, and I, I completely agree with you there. Mm -hmm. and, I, and an interesting point on that, that you, you pulled up, and, and I suppose it's something that can get really philosophical in a way, but those people who've maybe experienced movement in the past, and those people, let's just take that word, for example, and we're generalizing a little bit because we don't know, but just say, people who are movement and know what hard work on their body feels like. So that even, you know, because if you haven't done exercise, even if you have done it in the past and then you do it again, you're always been like, oh, this is tough. Like, you know, this feels hard. This is, this, you know, it used to feel so much easier. Now it feels really hard. It's, it takes about five or six weeks and then you feel good. Then you get that kind of like, oh yeah, this is great. This is why I like exercise. Oh, I forgot about that. And if people aren't into that, and then they've had an operation, which has given them the license to be like sick, if you like, or yeah. to be like, you're in a bad way. It's very difficult for them to kind of go, why getting out of bed? Flooding really hurts, you know? What, you know, why should I do this? And then, so they're having to overcome two things. Whereas if you stay fit and active, you're more likely. So you're, again, it's all about probability. Your probability of recovering is going to be better. Your probability of when the physio says, no, it's okay to do that, that you trust them because you've done something similar. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. there's a big fear and threat over what might happen to your body if you do something. Um, and then you, then you can dive off on other ones. If your relationship with hospitals and relationship with therapists, and that can make it really kind of complicated. Mm. But in, in a really nutshell, 
if you've done it before and you're fit and healthy anyway, you're more, you know, the chances, the probability of you getting better faster is higher, way higher. I really like the way you define that with probability because you'll get so many people who will jump straight on the exceptions to the rule instead of um, instead of yeah. like the probability. So yeah, probability is such a good way. And and what you said echoes what the what the lady said to me earlier on, and and that was basically the the fitness that she had previous to her injury basically gave her the accountability psychologically to be prepared to go through the recovery because she had already been through, she had already had her own challenges before that. Um, and then she took that kind of experience and used it to recover a lot quicker as well. So um, yeah, I've, uh, definitely some similarities between, but um, we, we've gone completely off track already and we're well, like five minutes in. <laughs> Um, that's, so, standard, that's standard any interview with me by the way <laughs> yeah that is good it's good I like the way I like the way it rolls naturally I say this all the time so um, right so, so for the listener the, the reason that um, I'm very interested in speaking to Andrew in particular is because he's a physio but he's also a strength and conditioning coach and um, those two don't always pair naturally you, you will speak to a lot of physios who definitely wouldn't advise going to lift weights um after having some physio and i think that the in fact i'll let andrew explain it but first of all before we can get into that how did you get into that line of work andrew how did you get into not just the physio not just the strength and conditioning coach but both as well as the other things you do yeah sure sure yeah i'll try and make it quick um, um so like since as a kid um, sports massive been really big thing you know i i used to say to my mom that i was adopted by from brazil i was that much in love with football and that i was brazilian uh, and that that was going to be make me into a professional and i, I had a day and then randomly there there are generally argentina i had a maradona football in a jersey and i'd sleep in that and sleep with the ball so i was absolutely football mental wow. and i thought that was what i wanted to do uh, and then um so i got injured quite a lot and then um I actually just, my brother just sent me a, a program from my under eight. We were quite a decent school in football. and We, we got to the All-Ireland final, which should be like a national final. And in there, you had a biog and it would, it would ask you all the questions, your favorite food, your music and all this. And then it had a favorite um, or, uh, you know, uh, career aspiration. And I'd actually put physio down. I put physiotherapy down and I was only 17. And there's no way I had the grades for physio at that stage. So I was in my final year of school. There's no way I was getting physio, but I put it down. And uh, so I did sports science. And still had that in my head that, you know, physio was something I did and went straight into physio afterwards. Just because I spoke to somebody, I did some experience and stuff like that. And I, it just, it, it literally was just like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I just want to get, in, uh, and, and at the time, I don't know, I was 100% sure why, because now I, I'm really kind of like, well, I don't know what else I'd do. Mm. Um, I, it was just something to do with, and I picked, I did a lot of coaching when I was in sports science as well. And I got some coaching badges. And that kind of, you know, that communication stuff you learn with that and the, and the physiology really kind of, I knew it was going to be hard to get a job in sports science. Um, and I thought, you know, physio was something that I did. Now, it's, it's totally different than moving on from doing my physio degree. People would have the misconception that we are very good at exercise prescription and, and strength training. And we are not. And the training on the degree level is poor for that kind of stuff. And you might be people there going, oh, that's a bit weird because you prescribe, you know, that's one of the biggest things you prescribe. Mm. But because it's such a, cra it's a really, really crammed degree for three years, a lot of stuff you have to get in that stuff that we do that you probably won't know respiratory based stuff and neurological stuff. So it's really difficult to do it all. Um, but we don't get, we don't get trained very well in prescription and mindset stuff and also, um, and, and actually strength or power training and even how to assess it as well because you go to most physio departments they won't have any really accurate way of measuring strength um, and, and and that stuck me for a while you, you when you start as a physio you have to you learn all the clinical stuff how to make a diagnosis the communication between you and a patient that's really your kind of bread and butter to start with and then you kind of think that you know that the treatment bit is kind of very traditionally known as hands-on stuff and that's kind of moved away a little bit but I never felt quite comfortable with that. I was always into the exercise stuff. So that kind of made me think, and I did a course with a really excellent physio called James Moore, who's a hip specialist. And he was talking about strength and conditioning a lot. And I went, you know what? I have, I'm, cause I went in there, cock of the walk uh, to his course thinking, I know stuff. I know stuff. 
I don't know stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't wait. And it's a mark of a good, a good course. I was on that, I think it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. You know, you're on the top of, yeah, fucking I know things. I know things. And then it's like, I absolutely know nothing. And he, and he did that, but he did it in a way that I didn't fall right to the bottom, but I kind of went, you know what? Yeah, right. This is the stuff I need to do. So I went and absolutely, it was about 11, 12 years ago, and I absolutely just dived into strength conditioning mm. and loved it. Because I was like, this is all relevant. The coaching bit is. And even the courses I went on for strength conditioning, the people on the courses were kind of, they were physio courses. Sometimes you'd have, e- you get egos on there. Like, you know, get egos on it. You know, look, strength coaches got egos, but mm. it's not when it came to learning. It was kind of like, they weren't afraid to make mistakes. They were all quite friendly, shared. It was a really good vibe, actually. Uh, and I did a three-day accelerated course up in Leeds with a guy called Brendan Chapman and a bunch of GB-level coaches. And it was just a brilliant, it was like three days and it just flew by. Um, and then I went on and did the CSCS, which is a certified strength and conditioning specialist uh, in the States. Uh, it's a course uh, delivered by a, an American company. And that, uh, and more and more I learned about it, I just started getting a bit like, wait a minute, this is, this is you know, the exercise prescription I'm doing. A lot of patients can't do more. These are sedentary patients, people who don't normally do stuff. More than one or two exercises, they won't comply. And there's research to back that up. So they just can't do an awful lot. So you've got to be really good and very, very accurate with what you do give them. And a big part of it is education and communication. That is one of the biggest components of my um, skill set. But then it's like, all right, what exit, what one thing can I give them that's going to give them a good relationship with movement, that's going to help their mindset or behavior, uh, and then let maybe lead on to the next exercise or maybe lead on to the next good behavior, the next good habit. Um, and, and that's a really ranty answer. I told you I was going to not keep it short. <laughs> but I suppose that's kind of the way. And then I did a sports master, uh, medicine master's. But that was more towards diagnosis and stuff. But it all kind of seemed to blend because the better the better i tried to be as a clinician i kind of went actually knowing and um, knowing patients more was was the was the best hidden skill of a therapist so, and it's the same for you guys you know trainers mm. when i speak to anytime i speak to trainers they're always the same they're always really good people you know they can read people and they understand behavior that's their skill and then they kind of go you know what don't, don't worry about what you're saying on instagram or whatever this is the program for you because they've listened and then they've made it adaptable or doable for that person. That's mm-hmm. the skill. And people want to do the sexy, jazzy stuff. And, and maybe you might throw some of that in if to make it fun and meaningful. But generally, it's the boring consistency stuff and the turning up and having the pro, you know. That's what I really learned um, by doing all that, I suppose. And I don't know if that's, yeah. That, that, you know, maybe I, you, you time for a question. But yeah, that, that's kind of... What, what, what I'm about anyway. From that. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. And I think um, one of the things that highlights about um, perhaps prescribing people only one or two exercises is the fact that one of the internal things that a lot of people don't see when it comes to exercise is that, especially when it comes to the strength and conditioning stuff, where you're starting to work on those higher level movements like the um, like compound movements, is you've got to have your CNS in the right place, your central nervous system in the right place to get your body to move that right way. Because if you don't, you'll end up carrying bad form through, through your entire kind of lifting career. And then that could lead to injuries in itself. So you want to make sure you're as good at the basic movements straight away before you start adding all the fancy stuff in. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Is that yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 it's, it's kind of and it's interesting when it comes to so one of the big differences between I suppose you guys and, and us are you know therapists and, and trainers is mm. pain. Yeah. Pain is the biggest. You know, you you rarely have to deal with that as your prime thing. Yours, you're trying to get out adaptability, performance, or uh, or a goal like weight loss or what aesthetics or something like that or some sort of movement quality that can but rarely you're having to deal with the outcome of that you know the, the pain unless you push them too hard you know and yeah. like, you know something but for us the problem is is and i think what's worth pointing out for people is the, the correlation between pain and strength is poor so you mm. can be super strong and still be in loads of pain so you, mm. you know you, there's loads of examples you talk to any elite athlete they're always in pain uh, eddie hall world's strongest man in 17 2017 in his book talking about it, he said he didn't have a day where he wasn't in pain like he's just painful. He says sitting down was painful. Mm. You know, yet this guy can is the world's strongest man. So strength gets sometimes um, this kind of like this is where it gets kind of very grey with the guys. Go someone comes in and they've got weakness, 
will make them strong. Now, is it the strength that's made them better or is it the fact that they feel robust or they feel that they're not going to fall apart or they feel that, that, that they were told before it would tear if they did something or all those things are more responsible for pain than actually you getting them stronger. Now, so, so pain and, and, and strength is a really complicated um, subject. And when it comes to form, and the reason I brought that up is when it comes to form and performance, someone like yourself is going to teach a deadlift in a certain way is, is coming from a, your biomechanical advantage. So putting yourself in the angles for that person and to produce force in the best way, that's what you're looking for. Mm. And that might look a certain way. But like that might change again for a gymnast versus say a powerlifter versus a football player who are all trying to maybe do a squat. But are you going to take risks with that squat for the footballer versus the powerlifter who has to do it? Mm. And it, you know, so it's kind of like yes, get the basics in early, uh, tra- you know, train it well. But sometimes that squat for an engineer who has to get underneath um, a boiler or something that's not pretty. And if you mm. kind of go right, you need to be in this position you're then creating like a fear that if I'm not in that position, yeah. I'm going to hurt myself. Do you, do you see mm, what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah you. So it's kind of like, well, I, cause if I, if I treat him like a strength coach, then I could not, I may not help him with his pain. Cause he's like, going, well, Andrew said, right. Keep my back here like that. I'm like going, that might be just to develop strength mm. that cause we found that you were weak, but it may not break down because every time I bend, I get that back pain. So bending makes me have back pain. So I shouldn't bend. And he's told me to squat with a straight back. So straight backs are good. And what we found is it doesn't correlate with pain. It's, it's, it's performance. So there's, um, and, and some of the research around lower back, if you go on Twitter and uh, I'll tell you what, you'll, you'll get some serious nasty debates on there about <laughs> stuff about, you know, right and wrong and everything. But it, you know, it's, it's, it's quite clear that there's no correlation between the two and you, you can do any type of exercise and that may or may not help pain. Pain is very, very complex. So mm. I don't know if that, so I get what you're saying from a performance first. I, I will teach a squat like you would, you know, mm. from the point of view, but I have to dress it in the narrative that it's for this reason, not that if you, if you squatted like a bit weird with your hunched over to pick up your socks, that's bad because I get so many people in here with back pain and I say it's like the most common problem people get. Mm. is they are afraid to bend mm. uh, and then you get like and again i'm not ragging on anything like i, I say i teach deadlifts like you would um uh, i i've done yoga i've done pilates i know loads of people I did, they're all great and for the right people so it's not nothing but a lot of them are talking about when you're do, um, doing movements there's tension there and there's you know you've got to keep it in a certain position which again is fine but people take that away as that's the right thing to do even if I'm in a supermarket queue. Yeah, in any shoes, situation. Shoes yeah. yeah, yeah, you see that all the time. And yeah, there's you know, a... They never move their back. You know? No, that's it, and they remain like a robot. There's a really good video, actually, um, of a day in the life of um, a literal... I can't remember if it's a literal personal trainer or not, but basically, it's got this guy... Um, it's, it's like a little comedy sketch thing. It's going living his everyday life, whether it's cooking, getting stuff out of cupboards, going to the supermarket, but moving as if he's been told by a personal trainer to do. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen it. I'll see yeah, if I can find yeah. it and link it in the show notes. But yeah, you, you know, you've got this yeah, guy opening yeah. opening a cupboard door with a completely straight back, squatting down with a straight back, taking something yeah. out, all, all with method of purpose. But there's got to be a. Um, a crossover between functionality and strength even if you are training for strength i mean you can't live your yeah. every day like that so yeah i, I completely yeah. see do, do you know what i mean I could, yeah mm. yeah so um so, so that's interesting i mean I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of the angle you're, you're you're approaching this from is is that functionality um with a combination of, of strength is that what you mean yeah you so yeah. It, it's been very yeah it's been very clear if i'm after mm. strength I, I, and one of the big things I learned becoming a strength coach, which I didn't as a physio, was the, is the skill of tension, creating tension in muscle and really being purposeful. You mentioned there, I think, a minute ago. It's like being purposeful in that, what I'm after. If I'm after strength, I train strength. If I'm after mm. speed, I train speed. And I'm after endurance and, you know, and power, etc. And they're all different. And, and you, like, like you would understand that. But like some people kind of, physios were really guilty of blending it all in. And this is what I have to teach in the courses. It's like, no, if, you're, if you find that strength is the issue and you think that's going to help them move in a certain way, then go after strength in that. Now, if you're going after them to be able to bend down and tie their shoelaces, then that's different. Mm-hmm. Then do that as well. 
So I might be looking for strength and I might also be lift, uh, looking for them just to be breaking down that fear or just to move in a, no, in a kind of like non-physical uh, way or a non-structured um, way. Mm-hmm. So I will do both. But the skill that, again, when you're dealing with pain is to know when is more important or when do you have to and, what, and how you communicate with the patient. Everything you say, they'll start to, you know, they'll start to process it and, we, and just research with regards to the language we use. So like a lot of therapists will tell you, doctors, GPs, the same thing, will, will, the common word will be wear and tear. Mm. You know, uh, you've got wear and tear. Oh, it's only wear and tear. And it's like, well, like if you say wear and tear about anything else in any form of life, the wheels are worn and torn. Well, you replace the wheels, right? Mm. So you kind of, it's kind of like, you can't, you, you say those words. And there was a study done in 1990, 2006 by an American guys. And they gave, they gave a group of 20 to 22 year olds something like that. They split the two groups and they gave them five words uh, in different, so one group had one set of five words. I can't remember what they were, but the other group had words like um, wrinkle, grey, Florida, bald, and something else related to uh, elderly people. Mm -hmm. Now it's an American study, hence the Florida. Mm -hmm. So these were kind of random words and then the other words were like tree, should, you know, other words that would have nothing to do with anything really. Um, and what they did was they just said to the groups, the two separate groups, make up sentences with these words and then, um, and then walk down a corridor and then they had to do something in the other room. But it was nothing to, do with the, uh, nothing to do with the other room. They timed each participant how long it took them to walk from one room to the other. And the group that had all the words associated with the elderly walked significantly slower. That's insane. And then they and then they asked them afterwards, did you know they were words about the elderly? You know, and they were like, they just went, none. None of them went, oh, I didn't even I, I, that what that didn't come into my mind, you know. So you can prime people with words and stuff like that. So anything we say with regards to even how we give the exercise and why that's important, I must say is this is the reason why you do this. Mm-hmm. Because if they're doing it in all other circumstances, that actually might be the problem. So I've given the right exercise, but I've given the wrong communication. And then you're screwed, mm-hmm. you know? Because it's they come spe- back and go, physio doesn't work, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the, the problem then is as well that they will internalize that and use it as their own language going forward as well, which can have a knock-on effect just, yeah, going further and further. Well, I, that's a great, that's a great, sorry, if you know, on that one is that's why I always record even my advice and education to them on my phone so that they can go home and then show their wives and everything because they often go home and it's like Chinese whispers. Mm. You know, he told me it was wear and tear because oh, he was kind of talking about it. It's wear and tear. I don't know how to say it like he did, but it's wear and tear. Mm. And it comes out and then they come back the next time. Whereas if I do the little spiel, or I get them say, what did you think about the last session? I always say, what, how did you feel? What was the, what did you, what did you make about what I said? And can you just tell me what you, and then they go, and if they get it, then I'm like, okay, cool. But if they kind of start saying things that I was, then I'm like, no, I need, to, I need to, that needs to be addressed straight away. Mm. And I think um, while we're speaking about language, and obviously this is something you're very aware of, which is good, because I didn't know where we're going to go in this direction at all. Um, but one of the things I, I speak to a lot of my clients about is be careful of the statements you make to yourself, because once you've made that statement to yourself, your psychology will want to keep to that identity. So before you tell yourself you are something, this is me, think about it and make sure it's going to have a positive effect rather than a negative one. Um, I'm guessing from your point of view, that's even more, uh, you know, because you're dealing with people, recovery and, and trying to get over pain and stuff. So that's even more important from your point of view. Well, I got a good, a good one on that. And there is, and I, I, I don't have the papers off my head, um, but there's definitely uh, research in, uh, in the area of, uh, uh, so you get people who like say, oh, this is my bad leg or my, or my dodgy leg or my gammy leg. My brother used to call his leg a gammy leg. Um, and I had to tell him, stop saying that. You've got a negative, it's, it's, it's telling you you can't do something already. And, it's, and your brain physiology and psychology is, is going, no, this, mm. this leg is not good. Mm. Um, so you've got even that, that level of kind of bad and negative impact, emotional impact. Because all these things, people can go oh, emotional, you know, and still out there as a stigma. And it's mm. like, going, yeah, but as a, if, you have, if you're stressed about something, you will affect your sleep. It will affect your cortisol and... and uh, whatever uh, you know adrenaline levels mm. which can you know which again will break down that they're used for stressful situations to get away from things and to, to to act but if you're not acting and you're lying there in bed or sitting there 
you've got these hormones knocking around and they're, they, they're catabolic, they break things down to try and give you energy. And so, yeah, everything from that is really, so everything exactly like what you were saying is to get away from negative language and not, you don't have to walk around going, oh, I'm the best in the world, but you just have to kind of go with, I can do this or what what would be the reason not to be able to do this? Why is this bad? I'm working on it. I'm training this leg. I'm going to see Jack for training. I'm going Mm -hmm. to lose the weight. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's all really important. You don't have to sit there in front of a mirror affirming (laughs) yourself, but you you know. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's it. It's all process. I think it's, um, I think if, if you're ever curious, this is for the listener, if you're ever curious about which direction you, you should go with this, when you're asking yourself, is this going to positively reinforce me or not positively reinforce me, just, you know, make that distinction and, and try to consciously ask that question about the things you say about yourself. Um, and it, I'm not going to lie, it can be life-changing to just make those distinctions in your own head. Um, so... Yeah. I mean, Andrew, we've spoken, we've, we've spoken now both about physio and about, um, and about strength and conditioning a little bit, but what I really want to talk to you about is the fact that, um, and some people may be aware of this, some people might not be, but in the general physio world, strength and conditioning, weightlifting, they're usually two very, very separate entities, but um, yeah. you've brought them both together. Now, first of all, could you explain why they might be separate, why people might still keep them separate, and then explain why you decided to bring them together. Yeah, and, and you can get even in within therapists a little bit of hot water, like, you know, um, about it's, you know, S&C, you know, I've had some debates about this, and I don't think therapists should be S&C coaches, I just think they should be um, better coaches, mm. if you like. So they need to understand that, you know, if you're going to prescribe strength, why wouldn't it be better to be able to be good at that? <laughs> you know, it, it yeah. seems pretty obvious, but it's, it, it's quite clear. It's, it's not very good. You know, it's again, and I don't know what, what it's from the teaching. There's, there's a number of things. If you get taught and you don't get taught in uni and you go out on placements as physios and you learn off other physios who really probably don't know either and they've made it up and it, it gets a bit of a joke that, you know, physios prescribe three sets of 10 for everything. Uh, and, 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 I, and I, when I was on that course doing uh, S&C, you know, the, the guys would be always like, oh, physios don't have a notion about this kind of stuff. And, 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 it, and it is kind of true. And, and I think you think people might say, well, how, how, do, how do physios get people better? Because they get people better. Often strength training is missed with just resistance training or mm. tolerance training, if you like. So you can get up and down off a chair. Uh, so say you don't get up and down off a chair. You haven't done it for a while. And then and they, they say, oh, yeah, really, st- I struggled to get up and down off a chair. And you say, well, well, let's just start practicing that, do a couple every day or whatever, and you build it up. Now, no matter what you do, anything apart from doing nothing is going to improve your strength. But you also, within a week, that person could come back and say, I can do 10. Now, has the physiology in their muscles changed? Definitely not. Mm. What's changed is the neurological pathways that have probably changed. A bunch of confidence, if you've given them that, and then some tolerance to that. Now, if you keep going on that path, there will be a point where you need to load them up and make them feel that resistance again to properly strength train them. But they may not need that in order to return to the thing they love doing, what they want to do, and then that's it. And that might only take a month. And you've reassured them, educated them, and they go away happy as Larry. So visuals were getting nearly confused because they were going, I am doing strength training because they've got stronger. They can get up now. And then they walk away and they're going, yeah, but maybe they've just tolerated what you've given them, but they've not really changed strength. They've just, you've just opened some way of them tolerating that movement. And mm. true strength training needs to be force outward, being able to do something and create a certain amount of force. Getting up and down off a chair is not just, you know, this, it's, 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 a, it's, not a, it's not a measure. Mm. It's just the ability to be able to do that task. It's like so reinforcing think, the mind-muscle connection, basically, is, is what you're saying. Is that right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Or you've just, or they had knee pain, they were afraid, and you said, no, don't be afraid, it's okay, and mm. I'll tell you why, because I checked your knee and I'm a therapist, and then they go, yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds all right, okay, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, let's try this, or I raise the chair up, and they go, fine, and they do it. So what I mean is that it confused therapists that they were doing strength training. Now, where they'd get find out is later stage rehab, so return to sport, or return to fit, you know, when they had to get back, and people would, if you work in the NHS, you see, you, it kind of, that's the other thing as well. You see, you, you, you know, people don't turn up. It doesn't really matter. You still get paid. Mm. 
you know, brute, you know what I mean? If, they, if, if people turn, and then if they don't get back to the sport, they, it's not like they go, oh, you're the worst physio in the world. It'll just, they'll just say, oh, the NHS. They'll often say, people come to me privately, go, oh, it's the NHS physio. And I'm like, oh, well, I actually want to know it as well. <laughs> um, but, you know, but it's, so it's not just the NHS, it's just the therapist you had. Mm. Um, and return to sport is when you need to be able to be better at this stuff, in my opinion. This is where it starts to get a little bit, you know, where I, you know, and from my private practice, people come to me because they want to get back to sport or continue playing sport. And that's when you do need to have that knowledge of, you know, how much strength is, is enough and, mm. and lots of testing, lots of numbers to be able to say, actually, you know what we need to keep putting, we need to put, you know, the certain measures of quad strength that you would want for body weight. And we want to hit those markers, change the direction and strength and, uh, speed and stuff so it's it's that measuring of that that allows you to, again like we talk about probability is you're reducing your probability of this reoccurring so uh, it brings me on to the point of injury prevention is impossible but injury reduction is more like what we would want to talk about so mm. you're reducing that person's you're increasing their robustness to cope with the demands of their sport and that's when you need to have in, in my opinion this knowledge but and a lot of therapists don't and it's mm. just because they don't have the training to it. Uh, and some of it, they might get people back. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Some people might have seen a therapist who doesn't do S&C work. Uh, and that's great. Um, but I find it, it just, it's, it's opened up a lot of avenues also from the communications. So I see a lot of strength sports. Because strength sports really got, when they go and see a physio, when you go to an NHS department, and they're getting better now. Um, but they'll have very little weight. So if you mm. come to me, right, with a shoulder problem and you want to get back to overhead press, you know, we got eight pinky eight ones, you know, <laughs> you, you're just going to be like, right, well, that's going to be easy. You know, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to be stressful for you. And I'm like, well, and you're going to, I've got this problem. And, you know, it feels better when I do this, but I'm like, oh, yeah, but I want to put 50 kilos on there or I want to snatch this. Mm. We can't, we can't test you. Mm. So straight away that like confidence, everyone, well, why don't you go in the gym and try? It's that bit like, well, really, should I? You know, how, how am I going to do this? So that's where strength sports got left. And even body, you know, well, even big. So bodybuilding got, would often be looked down on a little bit like you're a poser. Why do you need it? And it's like, wait a minute, this is this, is this person's passion. Would you do yeah. that about a runner? Would mm. you do that about a walker? And I'm like, oh, these, these people love this stuff. This is their life. It's their mental health. And you're paid to be a therapist to look after them. And mm. I just felt that that was happening. And I, I, I really like some of them, you know, can have arrogance. But so I see that with any sport. And, and what I was saying, as soon as you started speaking their language, what would happen is that they would start to tell you more and then it was easier to treat them. And that's why I have the equipment that I have in here is enough to be able, they walk in and they go already because environments matter as well. Yeah, of notice, course. You know? Yeah. So, you know, it's like that, that environment of like you walk in, is this, they'll see how you're dressed. They know how you, what gear you've got, what type of gear you've got. Uh, that all matters for people getting better. Mm. You know, they, they're looking at going, this guy will understand me. And, and, I, and it's not magic or it's not, it, there is placebo, but the same thing with the language I use as well. So if I know what a deadlift is, you know, and I know that sounds, that's obvious for you. Mm. When you go to physio or you'll get physio going, I, I, well, I, I, isn't that not bad for your back still? You know, you still get that, you know, that's still out there, that narrative. So when I'm on my course, I'm specifically going, you may not treat this many people, but if you can even understand their language and, and a couple of physios would say, oh, well, I'd look it up. And I'm like, going, as soon as you leave the room to look it up, they think you're a clown. Yeah. You know, that's it. The trust is gone. Mm. Once the trust is gone, people are going to find it difficult to believe in the process. Yeah. And sometimes the process is just about sticking with something long enough for the tissues to adapt. Mm. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. You know, that is, you know, you say, I'm sure it's the same, like, you know, even weight loss, you know, people are like six weeks down the line going, it's nothing happening. And you're like, you stick with it little mm. bit, carry on. It's going to happen. You trust in the process. You know I mean? Yeah. Trust in the process. Trust, mm. And they won't trust you unless you kind of, unless you dressed it up and understood their language, understand the communication. And they're like, yeah, this guy has got that. We can go out there and they get, you can see them, they get excited. And, mm. and, I, and I suppose that's where strength and conditioning also helps a lot. That you know, in in those kind of um, in those kind of guys, or uh, you know, guys being girls and guys. So with um, with physios, um, I mean, I haven't seen a physio in a long time, um, and I probably should. But um, the uh, <laughs> nice. yeah, the the um, it almost seems some are dead against 
going back to lifting heavy. It, it's like it's a finality of, of judgment. It's like, this has happened to you now. We can get you so you can move again, but I would definitely not recommend lifting heavy anymore. Is that, would you say that is their true idea or more of a fear of the unknown and not, yeah. is that it? Yeah. Fear. 100% fear. 100% fear. I, I said it to you on the phone, we spoke before. I have a slide that I have that picture of the psycho woman, you know, the movie psycho. And it's like, uh, she's behind the shower and she's pulling the car and she's like scared. And I'm like, well, that's, that's, a, that's sometimes a physio reaction when I hand them a 20 kilo kettlebell on my course. Mm. And it's, and then I, and, and my course is to say, this is all right. If you're doing that, then what do you think the patient's going to do? So, you know, I always say like, even that, you know, you're your stereotypical older person who should, you know, they, they're, Strength training is so important for the elderly. It's, it's, it's even more so important, you yeah. know, because of a number of reasons, which we can go into later, but they're obvious. And, and, and you're like, going, if you're still sending out that picking things up is, is bad for you, then you've just created fear in that patient so they don't trust it and they think they're weak and they don't think they can cope with that. So the, the, the therapists who say that are, are going against a bunch of research that says, if you come to me, Jack, and you say, I want to pick this up and I've got a sore back, but, you know, and I did a deadlifting and now I'm getting back to 50 kilos, but, you know, I want to be getting back to more 150. That to me does not even phase me, right? That's like, cool, right? Let's crack on. I got the weight, let's get on with it. But they might be like, well, Jesus, 150 kilos, never even heard of that. Uh, oh, that's going to definitely be too hard. I don't, because they don't know how to coach it. They won't know how to change it. They won't know how to speak your language. They won't know. They just go, oh, no, that's not, I can't deal with that. Now, instead, what they should do is go, look, Jack, the pain's better, isn't it? And you'd be like, yeah, no, I'm really good, but I want to get back to doing this. Instead of saying, no, you can't, they should go, you know what? I can't get you there, but I know somebody who can. Yeah. Or, you know, and that's not just like filtering into me. That's there's loads of physios who do stuff mm. like I do. And, and it's finding those people because that's not fair on you. That's your career. That's your, I'm guessing, your passion, you know? Mm. And, and, and I just whacked you up in one second gone, mm, don't think it's going to happen. And you're like, well, what? why not? And so it's all, it, my approach is what you, you know, you look at the can, not the can't. And, and if you are saying can't, you need to be bloody sure that you yeah. just told that person they can't do something they love. If you say, you know, would you say to somebody who's busted their finger, oh, he can't get that plane to turn out? I guarantee you they wouldn't say, I would guarantee you say, no, just keep practicing. Mm. They'd say, keep practicing. But yeah. if it's weightlifting, there's, a, there's definitely a stigma. There's definitely a, ooh, that's a bit too much. And then if they flare up, I don't know what to do then. Or maybe I caused that. I told them to go back. And in fairness to the therapist, they're afraid then that you've injured them. Mm. Surgeons would do it as well after surgery. They don't want their surgery to fail in the first year. I can guarantee you that. It messes mm. with their stats. You know, yes. because if you see a surgeon, if you push them too far and, the surgeon, and then they get problems, the surgery has failed at the six month period. Do you see? Mm, they get looked yeah. And in fairness to them, people will look up their stats and go, oh, they've had so many failures. Mm. And that's not good for them because they may have done really good surgery. But the way, the, the way they, you know, the rating goes, they look like they're not doing very well. Mm. But they could be treating like elite athletes and they who have to push themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, um, but one of the important things um, when it comes to when it comes to speaking to that kind of person, um, I've just completely lost where I was going. Now I just looked at another question. <laughs> um, <Hate that. laughs> yeah, my mind is completely gone. Then my mind is completely yeah. gone. Um, That's right. Okay, so right, I'll, I'll move on to something else actually. While I try to remember what that is, it happens quite a lot because I've, I've got a million questions running around. But with I um, know how it feels, man. With any type of person that you may train, we spoke about, you know, getting uh, past that kind of that what might not be considered strength training, but just getting back to base movements. Is there any kind of recommended base level of strength that you recommend that people should try to reach um, where they might not be yeah, at? Yeah, yeah. That is a really, yeah, it's a good, very good question, you know, and I think it's the, it's the holy grail. I always have to look this up um, and I have to do a calculation for quads. So in ACLs, because ACLs basically are the prince or princess of, of problems because ACL happens in professional American football, basketball, and soccer, um, mm. or football here. And they're the big money sports. So loads of money is pumped into ACL. So they have quite a lot of research into kind of stuff like this. But I believe if it's something like 
per three newtons of force per body weight. I think the is that, I've got that. I always have to look it up. I can't. I have to go to my phone, but I have to do the calculation every time. But it's it, there's a certain amount, um, three newtons of force per kilo per body weight, um, is what you in a quad for for any age for some reason. And would this um, be for any body mass as well, though, or would this be for yeah? Some well, other? yeah. This, going yeah this is this is yeah, yeah this is supposedly across the, the age range mm. um for quad and I, I and the person the the one of the the um people who um a big advocate of that and he would definitely guy called eric mira he's from the he's a physiotherapist from the states and he's a uh, an excellent physio and i can't remember where he got that i need to look up the papers and stuff but a very reliable scientific source anyway mm. and but that's the only one i've ever there is other things like um I know there's some research in the last couple of years coming out that again I always have to go to my phone and, and it's always per kilo of, per body weight like hip extensors there's a paper that if you're 30 percent uh for, for males and females 30 percent per kilo per body weight per force or something again you have to work it out mm. so there is some numbers but now saying all that there is those da- there is data like that but mm. like again you might people may have no interest in getting to those levels of strength mm. they just don't care so that it, it comes back to when it when it comes to what what we should do is say therapists or fitness pros or whatever and i think this is key is instead of dictating what we think they should have mm. i'm not saying that's your what you said by your question but this is what a lot of therapists do like i know what i've read the research do this mm. that is shown to not be very helpful for patients and mm. um, whereas a patient-centered, making patients feel self-efficacious, building robustness, letting them tell you what they want. Like I've had a couple of patients today and they were like, going, I love rowing and I love, um, he said, I love rowing and I love uh, running or something like that. Now, as a, as a kind of a strength-biased coach, I was looking, I need a shoulder problem. And I was looking to do loaded stuff with a shoulder, but I'm going, well, what's the risk for with regards to rowing? How much rowing for you? He says, I can do about 20 minutes. And I said, all right, well, let's get you back doing that then. Let's mm. get you back doing something you want before I start throwing in any exercise and stuff because he's more likely to do that. It's more likely to release endorphins, give him the high, get him feeling fit, get him feeling less like a slob, which is what he was telling me. And actually, I was going there before I'd even go with specific strength exercise. Mm. So it's very, it's very relevant that strength is very important. Don't get me wrong here. Mm. And, 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 I, and I'm a big advocate of it. Um, but I think the first thing is, is when people are looking to be healthier or fit, I would say, what do you enjoy? What do you really like? What, yeah. And maybe even where the goal is. So yeah, you might have to do some hard work in a gym that you might like because you want to get to a goal. But that's fine. But make sure that goal is really wanted, really mm. meaningful, and you need to be passionate about it. And I've re- uh, I listen to a lot of psychology and um, audio books and stuff because they, they, they give us so much more information about this kind of stuff and how powerful meaning is to people and passion, even about jobs. You know, mm. people retire, when they retire, they get depressed or this, you know, we all like, oh, I hate work. But if we didn't have work, we're all kind of like, we don't know what to do with ourselves. You know, mm. especially if you like your work, you know? So we all come home and be like, oh God, that was a tough day. But I, I wouldn't change it. I'd still go back for more, you know? So having that passion and meaning is the same for fitness. Mm. And, and we need to, you know and if that comes uh, if if they kind of go you know i want to i want to look a certain way you're going right well this is the kind of stuff you need to do in order for that mm. are you okay with that you know this is what it's going to feel like but I, I i stay away from being this is exactly the, the the you know you should be able to do this amount of squats this amount of thing i think i always just say well what do you want to do and this is how you're going to achieve it mm. i think you're more likely to they're more likely to adhere than not. Mm. I, I think um, what you said there is, you know, a lot of it will come down to how long you're seeing a particular person for, because their goals will probably evolve over time. And the other one, obviously, is risk versus reward. If you know you want to get someone to a point in their lives, but you don't want to push the boundaries so much that the risk outweighs the reward, and that particular reward yeah. that they're after as well. Um, and yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely, that can be anything. For, so what one of you know, one of the happiest people I've ever seen was an elderly client who didn't have to use their hands on the arms of their chair to get out of their chair anymore. When you know, yeah, and it, it, it's all relative, all relative to the to the specific case. And like I say, a lot of it comes down to psychology and knowing your why. And you know, I, I always try to mm-hmm. get my clients to 
ask themselves why they want something until it gets to a an emotional answer and not just a flippant answer off the top of their head because then they will have something to blame for. I, I call that fishing um, mm. when I teach in people. It's like you don't leave the ocean. If you're, you know, you don't leave the ocean without the fish mm. um, or you're going to starve, right? So and that sounds really cheesy. But what I mean by that is when I'm interviewing or we do call it a subjective in physiotherapy is you're, you're interviewed, you, you know, I ask about what the problem is. And there's so many different ways you can do that. And there's different communication strategies that, you know, I'm always trying to cross tinker with to try and get that information out. But I am looking for that fish. And that fish is the thing that really lights them up. And as you, you, it's exactly what you're saying. It's the why, the what, the real. And then some people might go, oh, I want, I want to be fit. I want to be strong. And you're like, oh, well, fit for what and strong for what, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you dive in a bit more. And then the more you kind of say, well, what do you mean by that? Or you have to kind of put it back and say, well, well, like fit for rugby, like, you know, or do you want to lift 100 kilos? He's like, no, I don't lift 100 kilos. I just want to be fit. It's like, oh, yeah, but in order to say in six weeks' time whether we achieve that, we need a little bit more deep. So you have to kind of go, well, and then they go, okay, and they think about it a little bit more. And like, as you said, it sometimes evolves, or they go away and think about it. But finding out that, well, if you don't find that, and sometimes it comes back to, and, just, and one of the biggest things is, not, is fat loss. Mm. Or, or looking a bit better, which has a stigma. So people don't come up and go, oh, I want to look really, I want to look lovely. You know, I want to look, I want to have massive guns and whatever. Mm-hmm. They, they don't, they don't jump at that. Some people do, but not, not an awful lot. But what, if you dig and dig and dig and say, look, is there a fat loss goal here? And they go, yeah, yeah. That, like, oh, well, that's important because that's going to change what I, what advice I get. So it's re, and then I reinforce that positively. I'm like, you know, yeah, that's really good you told me that because I could go on a totally different wavelength here because if you're looking to lift 150 kilos, then what you look like might actually not be, you know, yeah. what you want here. You might actually have to put on size and mm. put on weight and look different. And if you don't want that, I've just, I've just now gone there. So really listening um, as a, both a, as a PT or a, or a physio is the key things is looking for that why and you shouldn't leave until you get it and keep trying it because it will drive adherence and motivation. Mm. And so for, for the listeners out there, especially the general population one, have you got any, you, you call it fishing, have you got any particular um, questions that perhaps someone listening right now could ask themselves to really get to the bottom of their, their why? Is there any particular techniques you, you use? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it's, and it always—I always try. I was afraid of these questions on, on, on forums like this because I'm like, I don't know what happens, but something happens in my communication that happens. You know what I mean? Like, like mm. it's never the same. I'm always like, Fuck, I wish I had this pretty, you know, absolute perfect. Because like I might talk to you, we just we we are just asking it. The flow goes a certain way, yeah. and then then we come to it. I mm. think the key thing is that you just keep kind of when they say. Some people are, you can read their body language as well. Like some people go, you know, they're very blunt or they may not want to go there, especially if they've got mental health background, which is very common as well, or, or anything, or eating disorder backgrounds, which I, I come across a lot from people you wouldn't expect. And then when, when you get that out of them, that, I often have to talk to people for maybe 30, 40 minutes. Mm. But it's, it's an absolute light bulb when that happens, when you get people telling you about if they have mental health or anxiety or anything, because it's super common. And that's why I do, I do 90 minute appointments. That's the other thing I would say I would do totally different than most therapists. Is I, my first appointments are 90 minutes for that pure reason, because the evidence says that if you don't build a relationship and they don't, and people don't trust you, they're less likely to do what you want yeah. them to do. Yeah. Right? So, and then by about there, and if someone has that, uh, these kind of things in the background that would have a massive effect on even the language I use, or if we are looking about fat loss and they have an eating disorder, we can get that out. We can kind of go, look, this, this is great. Now I can change how I'm going to approach and um, how I'm going to approach this with regards to the questions I might ask. So I think what you've got to do is you've got to find something like if you want to lose weight, you got to really want it. It's going to be like, mm. OK, so, you know, is this really or is it kind of like, oh, I kind of want to. I'd like to look good. I've just seen someone. Oh, I'm really pissed off. I want to look like that. You've got to sit down and go, right, there's going to be hard work involved. Is that, you know, really? And, and even then, it can't be just about that because by the time you do reach that goal, then it'll be what's next. Yeah. So kind of like you want to have that, as you say, the process of getting into that goal as well needs to be enjoyable. So mm. changing your diet to be able to lose the weight needs to be like, well, I'm going to find new foods. I'm going to shop there. I'm going to shop wiser. And Jack will help me find those things. And I'm going to enjoy that. It's not about like just going straight from, size whatever to size this 
because that doesn't happen straight away. It's actually like, okay, I'm going to learn about food. I'm going to learn about being more sensible. I'm going to learn about actually, you know, for me, eating like this is better. And that discovery is the buzz. And then at six or eight weeks, when you lose the weight, then it's like, oh, wow, look, I, I look better as well. It's, mm. you know, it's kind of changing that. So just be careful about, you know, solid goals like that. You, you know, it's great to set them, but also kind of think about the process that's going to be involved in that. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, and I, I think, you know, passion and it makes you smile. It makes you, like some people, you have to kind of say, well, do you like music? Do you like dancing? Which have big effects on endorphins, by the way, massive effects. So it's like, going, can we, you know, is that important for you? And get that involved, you know. Mm. Uh, you know it, it, I don't have specific questions. I think it's just getting to know people. Yeah, you know, definitely. And, and everybody's different as well. Like I would speak differently yeah. to a fat loss client than I would an elderly person looking to get a little bit more, you know, just able, yeah. generally able. Um, and yeah, you, you get to know by, by speaking to people. And, and if you are just asking yourself, then, you know, just ask yourself. I, I think um, one of the questions I get quite often is, you know, I'm just not motivated to start then one of my first recommendations would be to, to create a more active lifestyle is think about what you enjoy doing when you're a kid, start there, and then just play around and, and try a bunch of different things, um, especially for creating just a, a base, healthy, healthy, active lifestyle. Um, <clears throat> I think it's really yeah, important. I like, you know, you know I'll I t- I tell you what I do as well, and um, that might be kind of similar to people might do as well once they kind of, and then and it's, it's a journey of discovery sometimes with these things as well i say you might they might just it depends on where they are with change as well so there's yeah. a great uh, there's a, a researcher's oh, i'm not even going to um, destroy their names but um there, if you look up the circle of behavior change uh, i think it's a, it's a it's a kind of um maybe polish or russian sounding surname uh, I could be totally off. Is it the unconscious uh, confidence and stuff like that? Is it that stuff? I'm not sure. No, no, right. not that. But it, 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 right. it's it's the stages of change. Mm. And basically, it's looking about where, and I often will draw them. Um, and it's like looking about where that patient, where that person is oh, yeah. on their change. Mm. So like, are they, um, are they in ambivalence? Are they like, you know, what? I should really change. I should, you know, they're, they're looking to do something. But they, but and then you might say, you know, we're going to get you, we're going to get you a food plan, or I'm going to give you a rehab program. They're like, yeah, 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 brilliant. So they're right to take action, and then they, you take action, and then it might be like maintenance, and then it either continues on as maintenance, or it goes back to relapse, and they fall mm-hmm. off the diet, or they fall off the exercise, or whatever. So where they're at, if they're not in any ambivalence, and they're just cruising around, going, I'm doing all right. You ain't going to get any change there. It's like mm. people who smoke and you try and convince them to not smoke. Something has to be for them to go, you know what, I think I should do something there. I need some help. So, mm. what, you, know, eat, you know, and that can be hard. Now, normally when they go to a PT, they'll go, or a personal trainer, they're looking, they're in that ambivalent stage. They're looking for some action. And, they, you know, sometimes they need that kick up the arse to kind of help them. And what I would say is, even if when they go home and they're like, all right, well, I've done this now and, I've, you know, I still don't feel motivated. Like, motivate, action comes before motivation 100%. You know, you, mm. have, you have to do something. But what, what can help is, when you, I use it, it was from a book called um, The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonagall, who's a psychologist, who's well worth reading up on if, you, if you're interested. But she talks about this 10-minute rule, which is uh, I give all, all my patients in, at, at any different, uh, all different levels. And I say, look, Whatever that might be. I always use fat loss on my coaching just, just to kind of help people understand. But it's the same for exercise. Or people who are athletes who want to run when they should. Uh, like I might prescribe them uh, a mile and a half of running for whatever reason and say, like, that's all I want you to do. And then I want to see what the response is like. But they've had a really rubbish day and they're stressed and they just want to go out and run 10K because that mm. will make them feel better because they get a high at that, right? So there's one, there's one person who I have to manage. Because mm. if they go and run the five or ten k and, and flare up their tendon, I'm at then they're, they're five ten days behind. And if they've got a marathon in two months, that's a big deal. So that's one thing. Then there's the person who's trying to maybe uh, uh, from a diet point of view they want a little bit healthy. They come in to see the cake or the beer or whatever it is, the glass of wine. So as soon as you, as soon as your mood is, and you might have had a crap day as well. So mm. you've got the runner and you've got the person who wants to be healthier. They see it. Their brain is flooded with stressful chemicals to want to, t- 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 that is going to solve your problem. And we all have it, whether it's got to do with shopping, gambling, you know, pornography, anything that's, it's, it's, it's uh, your emotional amygdala brain goes, have it now. It's going to help. Mm. And usually when you say that to people and they say, you yeah, have that piece of cake, what happens afterwards? And they all go, oh, fucking guilt. 
feel horrendous. What do you do then? Well, I eat more cake. Yeah. It makes me feel better. And the circle goes on, right? And the same with runners. They go and do their running. They'll get the sore Achilles tendon pain for two days, three days. And then the same cycle will happen, even though they know it's stopping them getting them what they want. And it, mm-hmm. so I always say to them, look, the way your brain works, you're never going to win that. You're, you know, it's so powerful. You know, have you ever, um, have you done eBay before? Have you ever had an auction on eBay? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've done a couple of auctions, but um, without naming names, I well, know well, someone well, who who loves who loves an eBay auction. I won't say who, but yeah. And in the last <laughs> the last minute, your heart rate goes through the roof when it comes mm. to um, what you know that jumper that you just thought five quid was is now if you don't. If it's 50 quid now, and if you don't get it, it's like the end, your heart rate goes up, it's very stressful, and then it's like goes for 50 pounds and 50p, and you lose it. And mm. you're absolutely, you know, it, it's, it's just this, it's the way your brain chemistry is yeah, yeah. very clever. All marketing, uh, to be honest, I learned most of this from marketing the mm. brain, the, the mindset, and brain science. Anyway, getting back to the 10 minute rule, it's like you walk in, if you've, you've got your, uh, you, see your, you see the cake, you leave the room, and then for 10 minutes, you can't, you don't look at the cake looking at it's not going to help uh, you sit down and you either you look at the goal written down you've got pictures or music or anything that reminds you of the thing that you want that's what you know that whether it's holding grandkids whether it's walking down the aisle in a certain dress or a suit or whether it's playing football everything so it's got to be visual mm. even uh, even uh, auditory as well watching youtube clips of you running again or whatever it might be or looking slimmer or pictures of when you were slimmer if that's what your goal is and what you've got to do is the 10 minutes is to try and reverse blood or to try and channel blood flow to your prefrontal cortex which is where logical thinking is so in 10 minutes you can still have the cake but so that kind of puts that stress you know in a bag for a while and it allows you then to focus on what you you said you really wanted and then the probability of you not wanting the cake after thinking about all that exciting thing really, really is, is, is higher. Mm. So still people still go and eat the cake, but now they think, well, actually, this is way better. And the longer the time goes on, blood flow goes to that area of the brain. And that's why it kind of feels a bit like, oh, that's actually not too bad. I'm glad I didn't have that cake or that beer. Mm. Or I didn't go for that one. I just did my mile and a half. So I would say to the runner, wait, and then in 10 minutes, you still want to do your 10K and you still want your two days of pain afterwards, you crack on ahead. Mm. So it just gets them to switch their mindset because so many people try and battle with it and, they, and that's why they don't like it. It's just too much of a, oh, you know, I want this now. I want it, I want it, I want it. And then as soon as it happens, guilt and shame comes in, which is only creates more guilt and shame. That's that's brought up a couple of things in in my head. I mean, first of all, that um, using the visual auditory, whatever kind of aids you need to do. One of the, I don't know if there is a technical term for it. I call them anchors, personally. I I call it a way to anchor yourself to an emotional emotional tie, something that gives you um, a sense of purpose, power, anything like that. If you can have an anchor, that is brilliant. Um, But the other thing that you just reminded me of, and um, I, I don't know if this is anything you pay attention to, but um, breath work, I mean, usually people don't breathe deeply enough. They take shallow breaths, which makes them in a almost fight or flight state by complete subconsciously in a fight or flight state. And it makes them make rash decisions because they're ch- breathing from their chest, not from their belly. And the oxygen isn't going to their brain properly. Shallow breathing creates that. So I tell people to, let's say they're walking past a, a, a donut stand in a, in a high street or something like that. If they're too tempted, um, first of all, I never exclusively say don't do that because everyone has their, you know, it's you're allowed to do so. Yeah. But I say stop, yeah. take three deep breaths, just regain your regain the sense of control over your brain and ask yourself, do I really want that? Or is it just because, you know, it's it's immediate gratification? It's you know, it's defining between long-term gratification and immediate gratification. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. You know, the, the breathing and, and there's, there's stuff on meditation and breathing changes in your brain. So mm-hmm. Kelly McGonagall, again, same lady, she's done some stuff. She's done a book on science of compassion about, and loads of research in there about actual changes to your brain with something like six to eight weeks of meditation training. And the beauty about meditation before people are sitting on a mountain with their hands, you know, you know, yourself, the classic humming away, like, mm. um, 
you just the worse you are the actually the better effects it has so you only need to do it like for 30 seconds or 60 seconds they found the better you're at at meditation the longer you actually have to do to get the changes uh, uh, it's yeah. a bit like exercise it's a bit like exercise yeah, yeah. you know what i mean like so you squat for the first time you'll get stronger you know pretty mm. quick but then like you've been squatting for five years going from 150 to 152 feels like you put a someone's put a fridge on there yeah I mean, yeah what you know so you, you know the same with meditation or or anything like that that you get these changes so it's a, you know i that is a, you know that fits into the 10 minute rule again mm. giving them the giving the rush and that feeling of achievement uh, you know that they'll get from the thing that if they don't have this mm. you know they, they so they're making choices so again it's not you dictating don't have the donut mm. you're going you can have it but this is way better you know why don't you have this and yeah. here's some ways of doing it and the breathing helps that blood flow to the front of the cortex you're, yeah no that's perfect yeah Okay, now that was a little bit of a sudden break there, but we moved from subject to subject so quickly, it took me a long time just to find an okay place to cut this episode in half. So as you've just heard, we've already covered a hell of a lot in this episode, and next week we'll be releasing the second half of this conversation where we delve into even more tips, strategies, and viewpoints. Now, I'd really appreciate it if you shared this episode with your friends and family and gave us a five-star review on iTunes as it will convince them to advertise the show more and reach more people. So until next time, guys and girls, live well and have a great day.